Some of you have asked how you can help us. While most of us would say, we want wine. <sighs> Italia Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs the moolah. You can donate through Patreon or GoFundMe by heading to italianwinepodcast.com. We would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. I'm Steve Ray. My guest this week is Francesco Minetti from the Welcome Agency. Francesco, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your background. Interesting that uh, you've got an agency and you're the second generation. You talk to a lot of uh, producers who are multi-generational, but I rarely talk to someone in the PR business who is. It's actually not so usual. You're right. Actually, uh, my, my mom uh, started the business in 1989. She was quite a pioneer in the industry. Uh, because, you know, at that time, was something not so common to have a PR strategy. And uh, she decided to, to start this business uh, because she met um, a very important journalist in Italy that was called uh, Luigi Veronelli. That was probably one of the main uh, journalists that actually created culture uh, in terms of uh, enogastronomy. And uh, so after this meeting, uh, she decided to embark on this adventure. And um, 10 years ago, I, I decided to, to join the company, and then uh, she is now retired. So, you're the CEO. Yeah, that was a yeah. pretty good gig. So tell us about the company, where it's located, uh, the employees, the kind of clients that you have. Yeah, um, actually, we are, I would say we were based in Alba, and now we shifted our operations remotely. So we are now able to, to work from wherever we want. Uh, we are 25 people and we work mainly with Italian brands, only wine brands. I would say about 70 per year, just to give you an idea. Yeah, and uh, we help them build their brand internationally, let's say globally. We work actively in 17 countries. Of course, the most important ones are North America, so United States and Canada, then UK, then continental Europe, Scandinavia, and a little bit of Asia, Japan, and Hong Kong mainly. Okay. So PR has gone through radical evolution, as has every business, I think, uh, in the world. How has PR changed for a company based in Italy, where you're working with American journalists, American media, social media, influencers, all that kind of stuff, but you're an ocean away? Yeah, this is a good question. You know, we had uh, the chance to meet uh, American journalists because I, I, in the late 90s, we were the first to organize an unpremier tasting for uh, uh, Nebbiolo-based wines in Alba. And this was something we um, somehow, I mean, let's say, was inspired by the Bordeaux tastings. Uh, and so, let's take it that at that point, 
we got to know the main media guys, uh, the actually still main media guys after 20 years. <laughs> and this was, let's say, our, I would put it this way, our competitive advantage. But then a lot of things happened. And I would say on the both sides, uh, because on one hand, we have now in Italy definitely more brands, or I call it, I mean, wannabe brands. So a lot of wineries that decided maybe not to sell bulk wines anymore, but they started to have their own bottles, their own brands on the bottles, and they wanted attention from the media. On the other side, we have that all the media industry has been consolidated and concentrated a lot. So we have less people to talk to. And this is somehow creates, I would say, an exact demand of visibility and reputation. Hmm? Uh, and this is quite difficult to manage, I would say. Yeah, I can see that. So what do you do? Oh, first of all, we try to uh, strategize. So I know that everyone talks about strategy and no one does it. But we try to uh, help wineries to set their objectives in terms of target countries, in terms of target cities, if possible. Because if we don't uh, work yeah, yet... Yeah. Yeah, 50 different markets. So, yeah. so first of all that, and then, the, the, I mean, for us, the most important thing is to help them understand why they are different. So uh, we elaborated some uh, visual models to help this process of, I would say, introspection. Because for us, it's important to understand the three, let's say three things that are very characterizing, distinctive of your brand. Without this, you are just wasting your money because you don't have actually a distinctive message, but you always say the same things. Oh yeah, we are traditional, but also a little bit innovative. Oh yeah, we are family-owned, and this is the fourth, fifth, southern, and so on and so forth. And then third thing that everyone says right now is, yeah, we are sustainable. Great. So this is actually something that is pretty common of all the thousands of, uh, of wannabe brands in Italy. So the first step is to help them understand the three pillars we call pillars, uh, and uh, these to us are the foundations of a PR strategy. Then we choose the target, and the target could be not only media because of the of the of the thing that I was, that, that I was saying before. Um, so we also expand our PR work beyond media to what. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, we consider also other important spaces and other important audiences. Of course, uh, we need to uh, be aware that uh, this excess demand actually created an opportunity for other people to fill the gap. And these other people are, okay, influencers, digital influencers, content creators. And for some brands, this can be a very effective strategy, in particular if the brand is very well distributed, for example, I would say mainly of trade, so you have a lot of distribution and you need to get very fast and very effectively and with a lot of control of your message 
to the final consumers. So this is, of course, more measurable than traditional media, faster, and I would say also more secure in terms of the control of the message. So this is, of course, one, uh, one choice. But the other choice, and I think it's the most promising one, is trade. So if you are a boutique winery, you want to premiumize your portfolio, maybe not all the influencers are, let's say, uh, suitable for your strategy. And so we are starting talking to master of wines, master sommelier, and buyers, consultants for wine lists, restaurants directly. And this, I think it's quite effective because at the end of the day, apart from the reputation you get from ratings, from articles, there's a bit of reputation that you get directly from the distribution. If you are in the main wine list... That's validation that you're commercially it's, it's successful. The, yeah, I mean... To me, it's a wonderful social proof as well. Because if you are in a wine list with other great guys, uh, that means that you are doing a great job apart from the media side. So this is our, let's say, approach. So one of the challenges, let's, let's be polite about it, is many wineries, consortia, all the rest, don't distinguish messaging between trade and consumer. So it's why in an American trade magazine, you'll see consumer ads. Those people who are still doing advertising for those magazines to still exist. Um, and that just turns off that audience because the trade is not interested in your grandfather or your sustainability. They want to know what's the margin on this thing. Um, what kind of promotion materials are you going to put into the market? What kind of distribution are we going to, to bring to me? It's an entirely different set of uh, rules. Or needs, and yet most of the producers I work, especially when we're talking about farmer producers, uh, don't recognize that that the trade has very specific needs and interests and different ways that you reach them. How do you educate your clients being able to do that? It's, it's in a way it's harder than teaching them how to talk to consumers. <laughs> yeah, but probably more effective, I would say. Uh, so we we spend some time. Uh, in the initial part, I mean, to us, the most important part of a, of a relation with, with clients is the first part, because it's the one where you set your targets and you set your expectations. Okay? So it's really important that uh, in this initial phase, we do also some kind of educational work, uh, saying that uh, actually you need to have, for example, a well-structured portfolio. This is something maybe that someone considers not really relevant for a PR strategy, but at the end of the day, for trade is super relevant, that your portfolio is well-conceived and you you don't have too many products on the same same price point or same type of wine and all that kind of stuff. Because it's, I I see this all the time, and you you get... uh, People come, they have, I don't know, 20 SKUs or something, and they want to get all 20 SKUs in the marketplace, and they're not going to, someone's going to cherry pick just a few. That makes it challenging, because if you only have one or a few faces in the store, how are you going to get noticed in time and attention? So it's a, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, that's true, man. But we also try to help them to understand and to identify one icon wine, so the one that is perfectly 
suited for media, for technical journalists, uh, the one who needs to get the ratings, must be limited quantity, it must be, you know, it's the, um, I, I always do this, this kind of example with automotive. Uh, you, you have Audi, uh, the, the German uh, manufacturer, and they present to the Geneva uh, Fair the A8 hybrid. They don't sell probably not even one, maybe it's just a prototype. But what's the point? The point is, this is the most representative wine that actually shows our philosophy. It's yeah. our best. And then identify the best seller. Okay, so which is the entry for Audi, for you, you know? Uh, and this actually is very important also to target different, for example, samplings to different kind of sommeliers or, I don't know, um, so store managers, whether it's a or journalist. chain grocery store is not going to be interested in your icon wine. Yeah. They're never going to sell it, and their customers are never going to pay that kind of money. Um, absolutely spot on from my perspective and whenever I explain this to people they, they want to tell me about all their other wines I'd rather have you have one wine that got a 93 from somebody rather than 20 wines that got 89 89 is not a bad score but it's not anything you want to bet the business on because if it's below a 90 in the US it basically says it's not of quality it's just the reality of, of the business. So we've become poisoned, if you will, to score or uh, subordinate to scores. And the first question that new wineries get uh, when they're talking to the trade in America is, you got scores. And if the answer is yes, I got Trey Bicchieri from Denver or Russell. No, no, no. Do you have scores that matter in the U.S.? Not to diminish or demean Denver or Russell, and at a certain level, that becomes very important to certain importers and distributors. But for the general public, no. I mean, if, if, if we want to talk about ratings, I have a lot to say. And I think that uh, ratings are crucial in, the, in a certain period of the brand evolution. What I, what I want to say, that first of all, you are maybe uh, going to a new market. Okay, Maybe you're going to the U.S., uh, maybe you don't have strong distribution yet. Maybe you don't have distribution at all. Okay, you cannot use scores or ratings to get a distribution, right? Because one spectator won't rate you because you are not important. Full stop. I mean, then one and two sometimes yeah, yeah. can, but I mean, this is not the, the aspect. So first of all, you need to understand very clearly why are you different. And which are the wines that actually can, can you can use as a, let's say, um, uh, to, to, to break the ice, I would say, you know, with the trade. Then, if you want to consolidate, then, okay, this is very helpful. And if you have ratings, can help Tornova, can help Salad, yeah, for sure. And then, if you need also to, at a certain point, to premiumize your portfolio, ratings are super uh, efficient and effective. But I can quote a lot of wineries in Italy that became like superstars without a rating. Yeah. The, the reason I brought it up is that, that is it's the first question people ask because they're trying, trying to identify 
do you understand the U.S. market? And if your answer to the question of do you have scores is no, then you clearly don't understand the U.S. market because you have to have them. The second question would be, is it from a U.S. recognized source? What they're trying to do, these are proxies for answering the real question, which is how do I know the wine is going to sell? Right? Yeah, it's true, but I think that it must change somehow because now we have in Italy, uh, I would say, almost 100,000 uh, wineries. And we have, let's be generous, five relevant magazines in the right. US. How are they supposed to rate them all? Well, what's happened is there's been this explosive growth in secondary rating entities. Um, which a lot of people in the trade will dismiss as well. I don't give some give credence to that one or this one, but I can tell you this: there's a, a major retail chain in the U.S. Um, and they provide a list. These are the entities that matter. What ratings and use? Okay, so if you're going to be marketing a wine in the U.S. and want to sell through that store, get ratings from those twenty entities. One alone isn't it, but. It's, it's kind of like the default question that people have. And for most Americans, there's not enough information on the line labels, so the score, using the proxy again, is a proxy for a quality statement. Uh, and that's all we have because, and it's even more so when it's online because you don't have somebody standing next to you to explain to you how wonderful this one is. Italian Wine Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. This is for sure true for uh, for off trade. Yes, but if we're talking about on trade, things are a little bit more complicated or more, more easier if you want. Because at that point, what is the key aspect? Is the relation you have with sommelier or the or the one on the floor, right? Because at the end of the day, no one is looking at the, at the wine list and checking. Oh, let's see, uh, this is a ninety-five. This is a ninety-six. But probably they say, okay, I'm gonna order this. Can you suggest me a good pairing? Okay, and maybe I want to try something new. For example, we can we can also think about um, the success, for example, of, of niche category, uh, like for example, orange wine from Gorish Caberda or Jura or uh, uh, Colio. They are not rated. I mean, this is not the same. It's a different audience, right? Yeah. So it depends. Uh, I, I really like to I mean, to get other options, not only ratings, because ratings is something that actually can confirm. It's a reason why. It's a brand benefit, but it's not a brand deal. Because at the end of the day, if, for example, a spectator, okay, there's a change in a different shift with different tastes. Yeah. What happens? You were rated very highly, and then from one day to another, you are not rated so high anymore. Yeah. It's not something that you can actually control, like a relation with 10 top sommelier in the U.S. that actually are able to influence the trend. So are you working with the sommelier level? Do you have that kind of um, engagement and interaction with people who are on the, let's call it, the front lines? Um, and if so, how? Yeah, we are, we are trying to address them um, as if they were journalists. We are trying to invite them in Italy to educate them, to make them live 
meaningful and relevant experiences and uh, let's say have um, a flavor of the terroir of the territory if we work for example with consortia uh, and we do it with master wines and master sommeliers that are not probably the top line but I would say the ones more a bit closer to the to the top line and we are doing with top line that has maybe some uh, um, like restaurant chains, not just one restaurant because otherwise it's too costly. Right, right, absolutely. How do you do that from across an ocean? I mean, in the US, agencies have people, they attend the conferences, you know, we go to WSWA and some of the you know, industry events, and, you know, everybody gets to know everybody else. Here you have in Italy and some other shows, Wine to Wine, which is where we're talking at right now. How do you do that from here with people who are not even in an office? Yeah, actually, we, we don't work in an office anymore. So I think, uh, for example, that's the answer. <laughs> I think that uh, in, in, this, in this area, the, the, digital, uh, the digital tools actually help a lot, in particular for scouting. Okay, scouting is really easy. It's probably also quite effective from, uh, from, the, from your desk, let's put it this way. Then there's something that must be in person, and this is the relation building. Uh, so we travel to US, and we might them to Italy very soon. It's not something that, that's one of the best ways to get people, but it's, it's expensive. We went through a period of uh, COVID where nobody could travel, which was horrible from my personal perspective, because that's what I like to do. You get a sense of, you get a sense of a, of a, of a winery and a wine and a winemaker and a winery owner in a way that you cannot get from tasting the wines that could be here in New York or something like that. And it isn't so much as you know, seeing the cellar and walking the blinds and all that kind of stuff. Um, I remember one winery I worked with, the name, but yeah, she was trying to explain to me about uh, biodynamics, right? And she took me out into the field and she put her hand into the dirt and her hand went all the way up to her palm. And if I, she said, if you went across the street, it wouldn't even penetrate the dirt because it's all compacted. That showed it in such a real, more real way that allowed me and us to communicate to people because that's the kind of story that resonates with people, as opposed to just saying we're biodynamic. Here's a perfect example. You can just put your hand into the soil. That I can relate to. Everybody can relate to that. Trade can relate to that. Consumers can relate to that. So we know we're in a world where stories, everybody consumes stories. Your job is to tell stories, architect stories. How do you teach a new generation of uh, PR people Maybe they're from journalism school, if we don't have journalism schools anymore. Um, those skills in, when they're remote. Actually, um, I think that stories and content in general, in this precise moment, are a little bit overrated. Really? Tell me why, because you're the first person to say that out loud. We were like... Um, I would say uh, th th there was this content overload um, and there was this emphasis after the digital revolution where this was this, there was this frenzy 
of uh, producing content because at a certain point it was so easy and so cheap to have your own platform. Everyone, brands, trade, everyone, and produce, produce, produce. And so all the marketing world, content first, content is king, and so on and so forth. Okay, great. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the relation, the content doesn't get to the, to right. the person. Yeah. So my point is build the relation first. Identify which is your precise target. But I, this is not something like blurred. I want names. Mm-hmm. Names, surnames, places. Okay. This is a list. And then, not stories, three points. Okay, your three pillars. That's all. Which are? That's all. Su- summarize the three pillars. Uh, three pillars, uh, you want me to define them? Yes, please. These are the three uh, main differentiating assets you own. These are not replicable. And if you read the three of them, you can clearly understand it must be you. What are they? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> You're making this hard. <laughs> you mean that the pillars will differ with each producer and their own individuals, but don't they fall into a certain category? No. How do you explain to your clients, whether they're producers? Well, let me restate the question. Do you work differently with consortia than you do with producing wineries? Yeah, yeah, of course, in terms of approach and in terms of activities. So the approach, first, uh, you need, of course, to communicate not just one brand, but I would say a super brand. That is the appellation, usually, or the appellations. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, when we are talking about these three pillars, they cannot be family-specific, they cannot be uh, too much, uh, let's say, focusing on uh, personal aspects, but they somehow need to be a little bit uh, more collective. So we can talk about great varieties, we can talk about terroir in general, we can talk about soils, and this is quite, I mean, we can dig and find specific aspects. So this is a first difference of approach. Then... In terms of approach, we have a lot of emphasis on two things. One is internal communication, because for us it's really important that the basis of the consortium understand what we are doing and why. That's a hard job. That's super hard. But we believe that it's the only way, because at the end of the day, the PR strategy is also an opportunity to grow your organizational business culture. Because you are somehow facing new people in different markets, and this help. I think this helps you grow mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. because it expands your your horizon. So this can be just a systematic newsletter or workshops or education. This is the other mm-hmm. aspect we are focusing a lot about uh, because we take for granted that. Uh, um, a winery is able to talk with a sommelier or to talk with a journalist from the other side of the world, but uh, this is really an assumption. 
And in most cases, it's not true. Yeah. Interesting. And so this is, uh, I think, in terms of approach, these are the main, the main differences. In terms of activities, we, uh, with consortium, we are focusing a lot more on uh, press tour, blog tour, media tour, sommelier tour. We want to uh, make people live the territory. Yeah. And also in, uh, with, with different kind of angles, not just with the angle of, okay, now taste the wines. But leave the terroir in the sense that you can have also a visual understanding of what's going on in terms of gastronomy, outdoor, uh, in terms of vineyards, in terms of biodiversity, uh, in terms of people at the end of the day. Not just the people who grow vines, but all the people that makes actually terroir. Yeah, cool. Okay, we're coming to the end of our time. One of the things that well, the thing I do is ask our, my guests for a big takeaway. What is the one thing of all the things that we talked about here that if uh, a wine, winery were listening to this or uh, someone on the trade in the U.S. side was could put to use immediately, can take from what we talked about and, and a practical outcome? Uh, usually... Um I was told that uh, communication is really expensive and uh, that uh, all the, the issue is um, the budget. Okay, my perspective is that 80% of your communication is introspective. So you go home and ask yourself, what are the main aspects of differentiation. This is my key question. And which are the 10 people I'm really genuinely interested in building a relation with? This is a zero cost PR strategy. And it takes time. Well, it needs guidance too. It's not something anybody can do on their own. Yeah, yeah. We, we usually have uh, Winners of the right. to get their models with interviews, but I mean, we're talking this week with Francesco Minetti, uh, who's the CEO of Welcome Communications. Um, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Yes, so, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, our website is welcomeonline.com. W E L L here you can find all contact details. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing your time. And it was great to meet you here at Point One. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening. This is Steve Ray with Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast.